While you're being seated, please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. In a moment, I'm going to read from there. And uh, whether you're here in the room or on the live stream, get your Bibles open in front of you. We'll help you to be able to follow along and benefit from our time of studying God's Word today. It's so great to gather with you. I made the joke in the first service that uh, since not a lot of you like to sit in these front spots here uh, near the stage, we made the stage wrap around a little bit so that we could try to uh, get everybody in. But the first service continues to have uh, more people than we can kind of fit in the gym in a social distance manner. So thank you to those of you who really like getting out at 9 a.m. but got our note and uh, moved themselves to 11 this week. Uh, We're glad that uh, you're here. That first service is really full. And so um, it, it's just great to spend the day uh, worshiping, studying God's word, and uh, being able to be encouraged by what God has uh, to say to us. It's a, it's a huge privilege that we get to gather each week in this way. And so we're thankful that you've uh, taken the time, whether you're here or you're sitting in your living room, setting this, side a time, this time aside to be able to study God's word and join us in worship. Let's read together from Hebrews chapter 6 as we continue our series, Jesus is Better, in the book of Hebrews. It says in verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, your word is food for us. Lord, today we hear from your word that our souls can be anchored in something that is steadfast and sure. So God, we ask that as we consider our lives and the different things that we face, Lord, that you would help us to see how we can put our anchor into the hope of Christ Jesus, how we can trust confidently in your promise, know that you've secured your promise with an oath, and Lord, in the midst of every season of our life, Find a steadfastness, faithfulness, and even a willingness, Lord, to suffer as we consider obedience to you, to trade in what may seem costly to us as we pursue the high calling of walking with Christ Jesus. So, Lord, would you help us today, Lord, to have open hearts? Would you quiet us right now? 
was so that we could hear you speak through your word. Not just that we would be able to understand these words with our minds, but that our hearts would be renewed and strengthened by them through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, we were on vacation in Florida, and uh, we visited Annie's uncle Jimmy. He's a kind and generous guy. And he was looking for things that we could do together uh, that would kind of be a memorable experience, given that we had the kids there and we don't get to see them uh, often. And so as we arrived at his house, uh, he told us he's a member of a sailing club and thought it would be fun for Haley and Darcy, my oldest two girls, and myself to join him and go sailing. Now, I've never been sailing. I did not grow up in Florida. I grew up in the mountains, and we did not sail in the mountains. Um, I'd never been, and in, in, uh, I thought it sounded like a good time, and honestly, none, none of us had ever really experienced what it had been like to be on a sailboat, so we thought it sounded like it would be fun, and we made plans to go the next day uh, out on the water with him. And when we woke up, it was obvious that there was a little extra wind. You know, things were breezy. You could hear the wind outside, and so he was checking the weather, and eventually he called the sailing club, and they said it was within range uh, that they would allow people to get out on the water, but it was, in fact, windy, and, but we could go ahead, and we just needed to be careful. And uh, that sounded fine to me. I had no idea what the possible prospects were as we were headed out. And um, we headed out, and we were amazed at how fun it was. I was surprised and fascinated by how fast, you know, wind in the sails could make a boat go. I, it, we were going so fast at one point, I imagine you could even water ski behind this sailboat. It was, it was so powerful. And it was just sort of a moment of that, the sense of the power of nature and that God is placed in it. And, and, you know, I felt small for a moment as the wind was moving that boat through the water. And we were going fast, maybe a little too fast. Everything was going great, though, until the boat we were using malfunctioned, and one of the attachments that connects the sail to the boat, which there is a term for it. It's some very technical term that Bobby Gomez would be happy to explain to you afterwards. Uh, and it, that thing broke. It just broke off the front, and all of a sudden, in some manner, that sail was free. I don't know if you've ever seen a sail free in the wind on a boat, but it is not a very fun experience if you were the one trying to help get the sail down as that bar on the bottom is swinging back and forth, and, uh, and it felt a little harrowing, I gotta, I gotta say. I mean, it was, a, it was a small body of water. It was not the ocean. But even there, in the midst of this small, I think it was like the St. John's River or something like that, uh, there in the midst of it, we all of a sudden were unable to control any of the elements around us, and I thought it would be really nice if we had an anchor. But alas, there was no anchor on the sailboat. And not to be over dramatic, but for a few minutes we were fighting to get this sail down because the winds were blowing and we were being tossed around with no way of controlling anything. And it was in that moment when I realized how nice an anchor would really be. An anchor that would get into something solid and keep us tied down till someone could come and get us to safety, but we didn't have one. Well, here in this section of Hebrews, the writer has good news for us. And the good news is not just telling us that we have an anchor for our souls, which in itself is good news. But the good news that he gives us is that he, he 
he exhorts us that in the midst of the seas and storms of life, we can be confident as we put our soul's anchor in Jesus Christ, who is in fact a steadfast security for us. So through this passage, as we look at this passage today and we see what it, what it talks about and the way it unfolds this argument, through this passage we're exhorted, strongly urged to put our soul's anchor in the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. But the good news is, 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 as always with the writer of Hebrews, he doesn't just say, hey, Jesus is a sure and steady anchor. Put out your anchor into Christ. As always, he doesn't leave us without reasons that this anchor is so sure and steady because he knows that fear in the midst of the storms and circumstances of life, in the same way that all of a sudden it gets real when you're in a sailboat and it breaks. Fear is disorienting. And at times, we need some extra sort of urgent help for us to be able to have confidence in the midst of the disorienting storms of life. And he gives us two reasons here for trusting that Jesus can be a sure and steady anchor for us. I want you to see, we're going to see it first in verses 13 through 18. In verses 13 through 18, we see reason number one, Jesus in fact, anchors us in the immovable character of God's promise. The reason that Jesus is a steadfast anchor for our souls is that Jesus, in fact, anchors us into something that doesn't change. That's what the writer wants us to see in verse 13. He, he, he begins to introduce us to Abraham and, and how we're to understand and read about the promise that God made to Abraham in the Old Testament. He says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. You see, what he's showing us is that, that Jesus anchors us into this promise that is in fact rooted in the unchanging character and purpose of God. It ties a rope between our lives and the one thing in the universe that we find has no shifting shadows or change in purpose. God himself. Now the power of Jesus as an anchor for our soul is that he alone connects us to this promise. The argument that the writer's making is one where he first wants us to see that there's this massive and secure hope that we can have. This, there's something massive and secure about the promise of the gospel because it's a promise from God and God himself is a promise keeper who never changes. If you want the anchor to hold in a big storm, it needs to be connected to something that isn't going to shift or move. Jesus, he says, is our connection to God's big plan to rescue people from their sin and return them to a relationship of blessing with him. And so he wants us to see Jesus, though, in a particular way. So he zooms out and he begins to talk to us about Abraham. And he says, actually, the promise that we have in Jesus isn't just a promise that we have right now in Christ, but it is this big, massive, history-long purpose that God has of redeeming people who have sinned and rejecting him through the promise that he's made to one man. 
And he, and he walks us through the pattern of Abraham's promise so he can prepare us to understand why Jesus is, in fact, a sure and steady anchor. He uses the promise kept to Abraham to show us that we can trust that the promise in Jesus will be secure into the future. And so he, in doing that, he puts us into the massive purposes of God, not just for our individual life where we can say, God, we trust your promise, but into the big promises of God that never change, that have always been his purposes in redemption. He says here that God made some promises to Abraham that he has kept. You can think of it as though he's saying God has given us a promise, and God is a man of his word. That the Lord's promises are secure because God is unchanging. Now, how does he show us that? Well, look at more in verse 13. It says that he swore this promise by his own character himself, saying to Abraham, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Well, to understand this quote here at the end of verse 14, and maybe it's in quotes in your Bible. It says, surely I will bless you. It's a paraphrase of, Hebrews, or of Genesis chapter 22, where God comes to Abraham and he says, not only have I made a promise, but let me give you an oath. I'm going to swear by my name. He, uh, we, we recognize the power of oaths even today. An oath raises the stakes, doesn't it, on not keeping our word. We live in, we live in a culture and society where keeping our word is, is just not something that we expect one another to do. You know, uh, over time, whether it's public figures or people in our own lives, uh, we see the consistency of failing to follow up on our word or the, the spin of the political realities that we live in and people constantly saying one thing, doing another. But you know, even still in our country, it is one thing to interview someone on TV and it's another thing to put them under oath. We've said that to lie under oath is not just to speak and lie as a person, but it's actually to do so to the whole of us <laughs> at the expense of of punishment through the law at the expense of something costly happening to ourselves. So somebody who testifies under oath, we realize that there's a surety, that there's a sort of trembling for what comes if the oath is broken. And this is kind of the idea that he's showing us. He, you know, in the Old Testament, it was common when there was a dispute to call for those to um, give testimony under oath. And if they were found to be lying, there was punishments attached. The oath actually would line out what would happen if things weren't followed through on that. And it sort of settled disputes in a lot of ways. And the passage refers to that here as it talks about the way that happens. But how does that happen in Abraham's life and why does it matter? Let me talk about Abraham for a second. God made a promise to Abraham that he would make from him a great nation of descendants in, in Genesis chapter 12. So to understand the whole of the Bible, you have to realize how important that promise is. God promises this one man in, in all of the world who is no better than any other person in all of the world, except that God has chosen to work through him. 
God chooses that man who really is not distinct in any way in his qualifications, but his he will be distinct in the fact that God has chosen to bring his blessing to the world, to return and work his redemption out through this man's family. And that man is Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham, and he says something pretty extraordinary in the, in the chapters that follow. He says to, to him, I'm going to make your name great, and your offspring will be uncountable. As many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, so will your offspring be, which is an, a powerful and remarkable thing because I don't know one other person from history where I could trace out and prove that this has happened to them. But even still today, we're talking about Abraham 4,000 years later. We're to, in, in all of the earth, you could mention Abraham's name, and there would be few people in all of history who would be more familiar to the whole of the population of the world we live in than Abraham. Maybe even so, more so, globally more revered than Jesus. That's remarkable. God, this is just a man like you, a person like you or I, and God made a promise, and he keeps the promise. But he keeps more of the promise. Those reading would have known this. We can see this. He not only makes Abraham's name great, he multiplies his seed. He causes him to have, have descendants that were innumerable, which was a powerful thing to a guy who was old and had no children. And God keeps his promise. And he gives him a son, Isaac. And uh, now, some promises can be hard to believe. But he gives him this promise and he fulfills it. And he says another thing to him that is important for us. He says, through your family, I am going to bring my blessing to all nations. So some basic promises to make your name great. I'm going to multiply your seed. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It gets clarified as we go throughout the Old Testament that what he's going to do is similar to the promise that, that is made to Eve. That though you have sinned through someone born of you, I will raise up a deliverer, a savior. He's saying through Abraham, through one of your descendants, which will be as numerable as the sands in the sea, through your seed, I will cause every family on earth to experience my blessing again when right now all that they could see by the end of chapter 11 in Genesis was the destructive power of sin. Sin moves so rapidly through the early book of Genesis that it looks like an innocent taking of fruit from a tree and it, it blossoms and grows until it says in all of the earth God was, his, his heart was turned to sorrow because of the continual evil. But, but yet God says, I'm going to bring my blessing back to every family on earth through you, Abraham. So, a really powerful thing ha happens. As Abraham has a son, he's got one descendant <laughs> uh, that is the son of promise, Isaac. And God calls him to sacrifice this son. A difficult obedience. He tells him to march up Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. 
And by this point in the story, what happens is, is we see that Abraham knows that God has said this Isaac would be the one of promise. Abraham has come to trust God's word, and he grabs Isaac, and he walks up there, and he offers himself up to him, and they get to the top, and we find out that God all along had been preparing a substitute in the bushes as Abraham was stepping out in faith. And he creates this pattern that, that our most difficult moments of obedience, God is always actually out ahead with the provision that we need in those moments to substitute what is necessary and meet us there rather than to strike us dead. You see, all kinds of people look at that story and they go, oh, that's not fair. How could he ever do that? But, but here the writer of Hebrews says he did it for us so that we could see that in our most difficult moments, God can take even what looks like death and substitute life. And we can count on him to keep his promise. And we find out in the book of Hebrews that, that Abraham was actually walking up there with Isaac, believing that no matter what God called him to do, that he would in fact raise Isaac from the dead even if he was sacrificed because God was a man of his word. And he could be trusted and it was steadfast. And so he does that. Isaac is sort of spared this. And we get this powerful picture of God's provision and substitution. And God says to Abraham, I've made the promise, but I want to I wanna renew that to you. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to keep this promise, and I swear by myself, Genesis chapter 22, it will be done. And we get these words here that are so amazing in verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, i got to tell you, Abraham obtained the promise by having a son, but he didn't see the fullness of it. He certainly didn't see descendants in his lifetime as numerable as the sands in the sea. He certainly didn't see his name great among the nations, and he certainly didn't see one born of him through which God blessed all the families on earth. And so it wasn't until after he had died that he actually sees God work out the promise and keep his promise, and it's massive. It takes a long time, but God never quits on it no matter what. It's a promise that is rooted in his steadfast, eternal purpose and character, and it's as good as complete and so Abraham believed God and he received the promise in due time. And he obtained it by Jesus fulfilling what Jesus did for us. Such that the nations, the Gentiles by faith could now be included in Abraham's promise and experience the blessing of reconciliation to God and being forgiven of our sins. Abraham's promise is fulfilled as we gather and worship the Lord Jesus today. That's amazing. Now, why is all that there? Because God makes this promise, and he gives his oath, and he completes that to Abraham, but he's not done, actually, because what the author wants us to see is the surety of that promise didn't just end in Jesus. It begins for us as we join in as Abraham's heirs. So he says in the next verse, so, verse 17 is now talking to us. So when... God desired to show more convincingly, there's the theme of our series, right? Jesus is better. In a better fashion. When God chose to show in an even better way to the heirs, who are the heirs? That's us, the heirs of the promise, the ones who would get it later, who would be included in. When he, when he desired to do that, 
to the heirs of the promise, when he wanted to show the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God didn't just give Abraham a promise and an oath. God has given us a promise and an oath. What he means here is that we have a promise in Jesus that is secured, first of all, because God has made a deal with Jesus he will never give up on. God has promised to Jesus that if he will faithfully bear the sins of the world and in obedience suffer and go to the cross, God will save and rescue all those who flee to him for refuge by faith. And God made that promise to Jesus, but he also secured it with an oath that we find in Psalms where he says, I swear by myself, you will be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which we're going to just set that aside for a second and get to it in a few weeks. But he says, to, and makes an oath and says, and you in completing that work will always be able to be a priest for the people who have sought refuge to you by faith. And so he's not only given a promise and an oath to Jesus, he's given it through Jesus to us that it's secure. Now if God, here's, here's the question, if God showed his faithfulness to keep his promise and oath to Abraham, how much more will he not keep his promise and oath to the son? This is Hebrews theology. <laughs> and I know that's a little heady, but it's so important Because what it means is he swears to Jesus that he will receive his sacrifice on our behalf for all those who entrust to him by faith. And he swears through Jesus that his promise will not change no matter what storms we face. He's given a promise and an oath to us. Jesus is the better oath. What better oath can you give than that he laid down his life for us? What God says through an oath, what an oath said is at the cost of my own life, I will keep this. And usually we keep the promise by avoiding death. (laughs) And Jesus kept it by being swallowed up in it. The great enemy, anything that could have possibly defeated God's promise, was swallowed up as Jesus went to the cross and destroyed death. Not even death could stop the purposes of God. So we have a sure and steady anchor that reaches beyond death in Christ that nothing can break us away from and today we rest secure that that big promise that God made to Abraham we are inheritors of it and therefore we can share in it by faith in Jesus Christ now can we talk a moment about the storms that we might need an anchor for the assumption here is that we have not made it to safe harbor yet that's what the writer of Hebrews the reason he's writing this is Our ship has not come into safe harbor, and we're not going to get there on our own. Jesus is our steady anchor to God's blessing, even when we face uncertainty, uncertainty caused by the winds of change. Some of you may be experiencing change in your life, and you feel the concerns of changing circumstances, a PCS season that's coming that you're not sure how to position yourself for, or the the inability to control the next things that are going on in your life. You feel the winds of change blowing around you, and you wonder if there is a steadfast anchor. And through this, God says, My blessing reigns over you as you entrust yourself to Christ. There's nothing that the winds of change could rob from you that I don't plan to bring you into the fullness of. 
That though things may come and go, and even if you have things stolen from you that you really enjoyed in this season because change came, that God's blessing is actually there with provision for the next moment. If you will trust him and walk forward in obedience, you may be facing the winds of change, but some of you may be facing in your life the waves of regret. You need an anchor for your soul because right now as you think about trusting God about what's next in your life, wondering, you know, is this, is this a season where I can trust the blessing of God over my life to sustain me? Is it, worth, is it worth continual faithfulness and obedience to God? You're reminded of the waves of regret in the past and you're concerned that maybe you forfeited being able to walk in the fullness of what God wanted for you and he says, no, no, no. Even in the waves of regret, we have a sure and steady anchor in Christ. God has, is bringing us on into the fullness of his blessing that he's promised through Abraham. Now that doesn't mean in every circumstance you're going to get what you want. It means that God's promise to you cannot fail. And God's best over your life is secure in Christ as he works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose means that we've been called by the Holy Spirit into this faith in Christ. And therefore everything that happens circumstantially in our life, even your past mistakes, your present weakness as you fall into sin, God has included in his ability to bring you on to completion. You can't outfail his grace. You may be facing the currents of culture. Maybe you look and you see the currents of culture that swirl around. You feel like there are things going on in our world that you don't know how you are not going to get swept up in them or, or your children are going to get swept up in them and you're, you're concerned about those currents of culture and how they might rip you from, their, from the moorings of trusting in God and doing what's right and the influences that you feel maybe around in your world and in your life. But God has told us that Jesus, if we will entrust ourselves to him, if we'll walk with him, he's a sure and steady anchor to the promise of God's strength in obedience to bring us on to maturity. And I know for some of you, you're facing the jagged rocks of trials, and you need an anchor in this moment to hold you steady, because you're worried that this situation you may be facing may break up the boat. You're wondering if there's any hope or security, if you'll be able to survive, if Jesus will keep you and sustain you in the midst of it. Through all of that, what we find in this passage is we do not just get the certainty of an oath and a promise, but we get something else. In the midst of all of those changes, all of those things that may be going on in your life, for which it would be good to know that we have an anchor for our soul that is rooted in something steadfast. Through all of that, we don't just get the certainty, though, of an oath and a promise in Christ. We actually see that in himself, that he himself, trusted by faith, as he finished his work among us, he's risen from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God, and by going on ahead, he shows the trustworthiness of the promise we have in him, that God will complete it. And through that, we see the second thing this passage shows us, that, that not only do we have an anchor in the steadfast promises of God, but the second thing we have is Jesus assures our arrival in the safe harbor of God's presence. Jesus is assuring our arrival in the safe harbor of God's presence. Look at verse 19. 
He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the inner place behind the curtain is sort of shorthand, symbolically, for the fullness of God's presence. It's, it's like we actually have, have Jesus who has entered into the place actually where God is dwelling in fullness. Where God's real purposes and real designs and real desires are known and being carried out. Where they are guaranteed and Jesus is there assuring our arrival to the place that God has prepared for us in the fullness of his presence. Here we get some images or word pictures that can help us understand the certainty of this hope in Jesus of arriving eternally safe as we trust him. You see, it's a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So we've seen this in the past, that this is a quick way to say the real presence of God or the eternal place of God's blessing, his presence that he says has been now open to us, the one that a few chapters ago we were invited to run into the presence of God and receive help in our time of need. And so we see that this presence of God has been open to us in a special way in Jesus and his genuine love poured out over our lives. And there in the presence of God, we don't fear rejection. We don't fear condemnation because Christ, our high priest, has already gone beyond the veil when he's taken himself as our sacrifice for sin and he testifies that we have fled to refuge in him. So Jesus, he says here, is our forerunner. What does that mean? Well, there's, there's two ways that this gives us certainty. If you, if you look there at the, the end, it says, where Jesus, verse 20, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. A forerunner, we kind of we get that language, right? We can tell that that means somebody who ran on ahead. Now, the image of Jesus as a forerunner has two purposes um, that would have been common to that term because it doesn't just mean somebody who beat us to the finish line. It means two things that Jesus accomplishes for us. This forerunner image serves two purposes for us. First, it's to give the picture of one that has gone on ahead to make sure we are received well in the place of our destination. So a forerunner went ahead of the party that was coming, the people that were traveling into a city or a place to make sure that everything was taken care of when the group arrived to make sure that there was safety and preparation and they could come and have safe passage into the city. And so here we see that Jesus is not just going there uh, himself, but he has prepared for our safe reception. Jesus does this in the presence of God as our high priest who has offered himself as our sacrifice for sin. I mean, it's an amazing thing to think about if we just zoom out for a second. That means right now, By faith in Jesus and because of his work at the cross, because of his resurrection from the dead, and because he has gone into the presence of God as our high priest, that right now in the presence of God, if you have trusted Jesus by faith, you're welcome. You're welcome. No condemnation yet remains. There's no guilt that hangs over your life God welcomes you there. He wants to welcome you there to pour out his blessing over you. Not just now, but in the ages to come. 
for all eternity. His purpose, his steadfast purpose in Abraham was that that could be true, not just distant from him in a small way, but in fullness for all eternity, knowing that we don't live out of fear of our failure, that God has accepted us. That's amazing. We are undeserving sinful people we know our own hearts how little we deserve to be accepted in the presence of God yet Jesus has gone on as our forerunner and stands as our high priest representing us there and that's who God sees on our behalf so when we arrive the only question will be whether we belong to Jesus whether through faith we have fled he says here using the language of the passage fled for refuge to him isn't, just think about what that means, about what it means to respond to the gospel. This is the good news. You could not earn your way into the presence of God. You could not earn your way into the blessing of God. But Jesus, our forerunner, came and lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we truly deserve. And he has risen from the dead with God's approval and now stands with that approval in the presence of God as our forerunner. And we are secure. And here's what it means for us responding then. The picture is, what does it mean to respond to that good news? As a sinner who doesn't deserve to be there, I flee to refuge. Jesus is a place of refuge. He surrounds us and protects us from what we rightly deserve. And so no matter how deep our sin, and this is, this is the amazing power of the good news, no matter how bad your sin seems, no matter how much shame you may carry about it, that because of this work that Jesus has done, God doesn't see it that way. God sees what he has purposed in you in grace. God sees what he is fashioning in you in this time as you walk with obedience. God sees what he is completing through Jesus' steadfast love as the sure and steady anchor brings you on to maturity in difficult moments even of obedience and suffering. God welcomes you. He's preparing to welcome you home. Jesus is our forerunner. But the image of Jesus as our forerunner informs some things about our life right now as well. Because it also gives the picture of someone who went first in doing something difficult and in turn has made it all the easier for those who come behind him. You see, this is where Hebrews gets practical because the, what he's saying to them is, let's go on to maturity. Right now you're facing pressure. You're facing change. You're considering giving up because obedience seems costly. But, but Jesus, your forerunner, has already completed the difficult part of obedience. He wants us to imagine that we're a group of people who have drawn near to a river. And that river is raging. And we can't imagine how we're safely going to get all of those who are so weak to be able to cross it onto the place. We're fleeing in refuge to a place of safety. And it doesn't take much for us to imagine, imagine what it might be like to be a refugee in a dangerous place in our world who just has to get across the river and they know that they're safe. But that river is a river of danger. And what he says here is, we have a champion. We have a champion that will cross that river and has taken a rope for us. 
And the anchor sort of takes on a different turn. It's not just the anchor at sea. It's the way that we cross through the difficulty that we face. But you know, it's one thing, uh, it's one thing for us to face that river alone. But here what we find out is Jesus has gone across. He's taken a rope and he's walked across and he's secured it to the other side. And he's left the other end back here with us. And as we face those waters, he did in difficulty as he went to the cross. What now on a smaller level roped to him by faith, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, he brings us on to completion. And his anchor is sure and steady to bring us to safe harbor. The faithfulness of Jesus, his faithfulness to his calling, even at the cost of suffering, has accomplished the task for us. He has shown the trustworthy nature of the oath and the promise of God the Father. And all our obedience, the obedience that he's calling you to in this season of your life, all our obedience happens as we cling to the rope that anchors us with him as he has gone ahead. He both guarantees our acceptance as the forerunner, and he anchors us with a rope to cross whatever danger by faith we journey on between now and completion. So he leaves us with this question. Have you fled to him for refuge? Have you entrusted yourself to him by faith? If you have, are you willing to trust that in the same way that he went on in obedience and suffered and God's promises were true and his oath was good and he raised him from the dead and he delivered the blessing of that promise to him, we now can trust that no matter the cost of associating with Jesus, of walking with Jesus, of obedience to God between now and eternity, it will be worth it and God will meet us with his provision even in the wilderness of our life. So we can walk with faith with Jesus the forerunner, as we entrust ourselves to him, as he's prepared a place for us to find safe harbor with the Father. Let's bow our heads and take a moment to reflect on this. I'm gonna invite the music team to come up. We are gonna sing again. But let's just quiet our hearts before the Lord. As you do, we consider that maybe Maybe today as you've been walking through changing circumstances in your life or trial or difficult step of obedience, that God wants you to understand that he has secured you in Christ. In him he has provision in the steps up ahead. and You can cling and hold fast to a steadfast anchor in Jesus. Maybe right now you just need to commit yourself in a fresh way to the Lord and ask for his strength in the days ahead and what you may be facing. But also, you know, maybe you're here today and you would honestly say, I've never really, I've never really fled to Christ for refuge. I've been trying to earn my way into God's favor, but for the first time I realized that Jesus has accomplished it for me. And today... By faith, I just want to respond to the Lord to turn from my sin and entrust myself to him. Right there where you're at, you can call upon the Lord in faith and he hears you. You only have to flee to him for refuge. Faith is pictured as trusting that he'll keep his promise and his promise 
is guaranteed by his unchanging character. So today, maybe you need to, for the first time ever, flee by faith to Jesus as God's refuge from your sin and your hope for eternity. Just take a few moments in the quietness and respond to the Lord in ways that his spirit may be prompting you. Lord, you are a promise keeper and we know that in our lives everything changes. You've been untrustworthy. We've broken oaths and failed to keep our word. But Lord, you, your promise remains. Lord, we're thankful that your working out of your promise Salvation and your purposes of grace in our life are not dependent on our success, but on you, that you've given yourself as a pledge to us in Jesus. So Lord, we are thankful and we entrust ourselves to you in all of these ways. In Jesus' name, amen.